The fastest way to make your team angry is when they think things are unfair or when they think you're abusing your powers. Your team is watching everything you say and everything you do. When you elevate to a manager or a leadership position, all eyes are on you. You don't have the grace that maybe you had at a lower position as a regular teammate. Now everybody is looking for you to screw up. I was gonna use a different word. Everyone is looking for you to screw up and they will hold it against you. You have to be really choice about who you put in a manager position or if you yourself are the manager, you gotta know that this role is a lot of conflict. There, there's some when you're a coach, but I find the more you climb up the leadership scale, the more conflict there is. We don't like all this stuff. We don't like having corrective conversations. We don't like letting people go, but that's just how people are. Like they'll test boundaries and you have to hold the line if you wanna have a very successful seven-figure business. Welcome to the Fitness Empire Podcast, where we show gym owners how to dominate their competition and build a massively profitable fitness business. Dustin and Matt collectively own 12 gyms and have a combined 30 years of experience in the fitness industry. They're here to help gym owners create an empire of impact and income. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Fitness Empire Podcast. We got a special one today, and it sounds like a lot of the episodes we've been doing have been smashed hits from the listeners. So a couple I was going to point you guys back to, I don't know if I shared this with you yet, Matt, the dark side of being a gym owner was the most popular episode we dropped. It had thousands of listens, which was awesome. And then the second was the one we just dropped not too long ago, which was the pros and cons of three different models that being some sort of large group training, small group, and then one-on-one -on -one PT. Those have been really well received. So the pressure's on us, Matt, to continue to create topics that are really helping gym owners. And today we really think this one's gonna be another one of those best hits. And that is the sins of a manager, the top sins of a manager. And so what we have identified is that you're gonna take today's content and apply it into two ways. It's you have some sort of manager, a right-hand person, a team leader, that, that person that is your right hand running the operation, or if you are in this seat, these sins apply to you. You, the gym owner, are holding the seat of manager until you hire one. And so don't like get things mixed up that I'm the owner, I'm above this. If you don't have a manager, you're the manager, so you gotta take ownership over it. And that's okay. Again, we've all been there. Matt and myself have both been the managers of our gyms until we got the ability to bring one in. So these are things to look out for if you have a existing manager so that you can identify them. And then we're going to give you how to's so that you can know how to kind of get away from those and how to have correctional talks with them. And then it's something for you to be aware of. And so all we ask is have ultra awareness, have ultra honesty. Be honest with yourself, call yourself out if you're doing one of these things, because that's the only way things get better is if we admit it, if we keep trying to sweep things under the rug, life just continues on the way it is right now. And so I'm betting you want to grow, you want to improve, you want to make your business better. I'm super excited. Matt, I'm going to let you get us started and kind of frame everybody. And then let's get into the first of the seven deadly sins of a manager. This is going to ruffle some feathers. I know it. And... So I'm going to, when I was looking at this, I'm like, okay, how do we address this topic? Cause it's going to be a little bit sensitive. I know that not everyone's a gym owner that listens to our podcast, which is really cool, but
But over the years, over the last 10 years, I've had some great managers. I've had some really bad managers. Obviously, I own every aspect of it in the sense of there was times that we just we needed to elevate somebody. We knew they weren't ready. We knew what the downsides were going to be with that person. And sure enough, they came to play. But we did have to put somebody in that position. So if you currently have a manager, you might have some ahas and some, oh, that is what's happening. That is the issue. That is why these things are happening inside of my business. Because one of the things that I'm good at doing is reflecting and learning and then not making that mistake again. So a lot of these things that I'm going to talk about today are all because they have hurt me badly. And there's been instances inside of my business where I'm like, why are things the way that they are? Why does the team feel this way? Why is the team behaving this way? Why were things really great and now they're really bad? Mm. And how do we fix it? What is the cause? Or why is the team, why is this team member now acting this way? This person used to be all in and now they have a freaking problem with everything that the company does. What happened? And it's always the manager. Now, the manager's role inside of a business and I actually presented this with my team of managers two weeks ago. We do a monthly manager meeting and we hired some new managers recently, not from within, from the outside. And there were some things that were happening. Some of these things I'm going to talk about right now were happening, right? And it was like, I need to be very clear with you of what your role actually is as a manager. So your manager by position is in the middle, right? Right. Typically, you have the leadership team or the company, you have the manager, and then you have your team, your employees. You have the manager in the middle. Typically, what happens is the manager thinks that they're on the employee side. That's their team, right? And then they end up creating this rift between the company and the team. But the manager's job is to bring everybody together, and it's not us versus them, it's we. Great managers create a we culture. This is yeah. our company. We're in this together, right? Not leadership team, not the company, and then there's us. It's we. The best yeah. managers in the world know that's their job. Their job is to unite and bring everybody together. Great managers do that. Bad managers create a rift between the company, the leadership team, and them. So the number one sin that we're going to get into right now is where does your manager's loyalty lie? The manager's position is a leadership position inside of your company. So they need to see themselves as part of the leadership team and their number one loyalty needs to lie to the leadership team. So when the leadership team makes a decision, we made the decision. This is what we are doing. This is what we agreed upon. When we make a decision, we need to be a united front. But if their loyalty lies to their team, they want to be their team member's buddy. They want their team members to like them. So what they end up doing when they have to go to the team with maybe something that's going to be extra work or they know the team may not like it, what they'll end up doing is they'll say things like, hey, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just doing my job. I don't agree with this. This is the worst one. I don't agree with this, but we have to do it. Imagine going to your team and going, I don't agree with this. I think this is stupid, but they're making us do it. So we need to do it. That's happened before. I don't agree with this decision. So 
they're being a wuss and they want their team to like them. They don't want the team to be mad at them. They don't want the team to be upset with them. So they side with the team and it's, hey, I'm the victim here. I'm just doing my job. But that ends up creating this massive rift between the company and the team. And I've seen it many times because it's the easy button, right? Versus going to the team and saying, we've decided as a leadership team, this is the direction that we're going. How can we get everybody on board with this? Or how can we make this happen? Versus, oh, I don't agree with it. Don't be mad at me, but we got to figure out how we're going to do this. They're being a wuss. They don't want to take the pressure uh, of the team. So that messaging is the fastest way and the number one sin, in my opinion, of a mid-level manager when they go to their team that causes dysfunction. So when I look at so much dysfunction that we've had with team or cultures that were good and then turned bad, that was the number one thing is what is the manager going to their team with when they have to voice a decision that the company has made in the direction that we are going? So have you experienced any of that, Dustin? Oh, yeah. In fact, there's often a, a debate between me and one of my head team members about something as simple as systems. So I often will say to the team, hey, guys, people don't fail, systems fail. Like we got the wrong person in, our hiring process failed. If the person didn't deliver the session, our training failed. I could always find the root cause that a system was to blame because I think if we do our job, we're bringing the right people in. And if they're doing the job incorrectly, our accountability system to them, our training, something failed. One of the things that this leader often says is like, hey, people over systems. I think people, if we, you just coach them and get out of their way, they'll never fail and things will always go right if we get the right people. And so we're saying two different things and then the team's thinking, who's right? It's like, this is the main person that Dustin's put in charge to run the business. And then Dustin owns the business, he's saying something else. And so essentially, then when there is that conflict, the team will come and say, hey, does like the leaders not aligning with where you're wanting to go as a company? And so essentially that friction is where the team finds themselves. And that's where, again, your point is so true because real talk, I think people run from conflict. They don't like it. And if they don't do it in their personal life, they're not as sure as hell not going to do it in their professional life. And so what you're doing in your development of people is you are literally coaching to change people and their behaviors. And I know, Matt, you very much want to chase that idea of being a fitness version of the Chick-fil-A brand. They say, hey, we're a leadership company that happens to sell chicken sandwiches. To really develop people and their leadership, you got to teach them how to have tough talks and how to go towards conflict and have it in a constructive way. And so a lot of people are not good at it. Then you put them in a position of leadership where there's a ton of conflict and they're going to struggle immensely. So it's that whole fight, fight, or flees. I'm either going to fight for what the company's trying to do, I'm going to freeze and do nothing, or I'm going to flee away and say, I don't agree with this, like you're saying. And that that's just a real-world example I'm sharing with everybody of how it could come up. And one of the things to, to realize is oftentimes that are not doing this to be like ill intent. They just don't know any better and they think they're doing the right thing and they don't realize that the harm that they are causing by doing this. So you got to, part of it is training your team. Hey, I know sometimes it's easy to come to your team with this type of message, but realize that this is the harm that you're actually causing the company and making it way harder to lead your team because you want a team 
that doesn't like the company that they work for. And the only reason they don't like the company that they work for is because how you're messaging what the company's expectations are, right? So they're making their jobs way harder. Now, the other ways that loyalty to just your team starts showing up is managers start overprotecting their team because they don't want their team necessarily like on the chopping block. It also goes to ego, which is a different thing that we'll talk about in a little bit, but they won't bring up performance issues that they're having with their team members. So when you ask them, hey, how are things going? They're like, oh, everything's great and everyone's awesome and everyone's performing super, super well, but they're having massive performance issues with certain team members and they're not bringing it up because either it's their ego and they don't want to look weak and they don't want to look like they're not doing a good job or they don't want to put obviously heat on one of their team members, but it always comes up because if they have other high performing team members, they'll bring it up, right? So them overprotecting their team, eventually it gets found out that they're also not doing their job and they actually are harming the company because they're trying to protect their team. The other way that this shows up is by not documenting performance issues that are happening with team members. So there may be, I've had it where team members are doing some really crazy stuff and it's not getting documented. It's not even having a conversation. It's almost like it never happened. So you have all these undocumented occurrences that are happening that everybody knows about. But then you end up finding out about it later and you have to actually do something about it. And it actually massively affects like from an HR perspective, from a legality perspective, it starts putting your company in a bad place because all of these things should have been documented and they're not documented because what we have to realize is we have to treat people like we want them to stay forever, but realize that most people aren't going to be around forever they're eventually probably going to go lame and we need to have that documentation. So you are screwing the company and potentially creating a potential lawsuit for the company because you are trying to protect a team member that you shouldn't be protecting because you want to be their buddy. And that gets into the next part of it, which is getting too close to your team member. So when you're loyal to your team and not the company, you end up getting way too close to your team members. You need to realize that you are their boss. Like you want to be the boss that everybody wants, right? But you are their boss, not their best friend, not their drinking buddy. So oftentimes when we get too close to team members, you start having inappropriate behavior, like you have sexual natured conversations that's kind of like locker room banter and you make stupid comments that you're in high school all over again and you talk inappropriately, whether that's talking appropriately about clients or about other team members because you're getting too close to your teammates. So basically you're talking crap about clients and teammates to another, somebody that's supposed to be your team member that you're supposed to be leading and you're talking crap about your clients and your team member and other team members to them, right? Not being able to be their boss anymore or hold them accountable because you've gotten too close to them. That happens all the time, unfortunately. You're not able to hold them accountable anymore, or maybe you're trying to hold them accountable to the things that you're personally violating as their manager and they know it, which then means that you're, they both, you and that person know you're a hypocrite if you try to hold them accountable to what you're supposed to be doing. And then at the end of the day, we have to realize people are loyal until they're not. So the things that you thought you were doing when you guys were a buddy 
And now either you have to hold them accountable or now we're looking at letting that person go. They are going to throw you under the bus as a manager so freaking fast. Like it's insane. I've had it happen several times where people confided into other team members and then we've had to let that person go or have hard conversations. And these type of people instantly are the victim and they want to throw other people under the bus, right? Not the manager, but the employee that you got way too close to and they're going to spill all the freaking beans because they are no longer loyal. And that is just the reality of this world. So when that person is not loyal to the company and doesn't understand what their position is and what they're supposed to be doing, those three things end up showing up and they will end up burning that person. And we've had to let a few managers go because of these instances or it's caused so much downstream effects. It can take six to 12 months to get the culture back because the managers are doing these things. Matt, before we go to the next one, I'm just going to give a couple how-tos that might be helpful to the listeners. The first would be, I actually heard this from Jocko Willink. We know him, the, the author of Extreme Ownership. He says, if you look at a scale of firm and friendly, and where should I be on that scale? He said, I would always lean towards firm, 70 to 80% firm versus the friendly side in a manager position. And it's because people respect the people who hold them accountable. So again, I'm a very happy-go-lucky, positive, want to joke around guy. I've had to learn to be more firm. That was my learning curve where other people might be too firm and they got to learn to ease up and be a little bit more friendly. But that's where he says a manager wants to be is in that 60, 70% firm category. If you're looking on a scale of one to 10, so that might be helpful for you to do that awareness exercise. Where would I be? If I applauded myself, am I dead in the middle? Am I leaning towards one or the other? Do that self-reality check. The other is I want to point to how would you track these issues that come up? Like you said, we do have to have them documented. We have something we use in our business called an infraction log. And so it's just simply putting down what happened, who was there, what time, what day. You just need that details. It's, you're building a case to protect yourself. Almost like a lawyer has to go and have evidence. If one party showed up with a mountain of evidence and the other one had none, they're always going to side with the person's evidence. So if you have somebody that just has a lot of he said, she said, like a team member, but then you as a company have screenshots and infraction logs, you know, where time and dates and you have all of this, you people will always lean on your side. So things we've had was wrongful termination. Somebody went to the state and said, I was terminated and I think it was wrongfully done. Well, because we had a mountain of evidence of why that was a right call, we did not have to go forward with giving them unemployment, all these other types of things. So you want this to protect yourself. If you have to terminate someone, this is obviously something you're not going to show your whole team or show your clients. It's for you, the business owner. It's like a legal thing. So do that. If some sort of incident were to occur, you have to have a form they fill out or a place where they log it and put some details down. It's almost like a police report. Hey, what happened? Who was there? What time? Did you have any witnesses? That's all you're really looking to do. And it's just an, easy, an easy question to ask yourself of, should I document this is, if I ever had to fire this person, should this have been documented? Yeah. Or would I have wished I documented this? Yes. So even the most minor conversations, if somebody were to get to the point where you're like, I have to fire this person, should have this been documented? Would this help me build a case against this person? 
So I don't want people thinking like, hey, you're out to get your employees. That is not what we're saying. Just stuff ends up happening. And if you don't, they can do that. So I'll give you an example. We had a a thing where an employee one billion times deserved to be let go. What if I told you all that I'll tell a few things. But he Without getting yourself in legal trouble. Tell yeah. us yeah. <laughs> he initially, when he was let go, he filed a wrongful whatever. And the problem is I knew all the stuff he did. Like, I'm like, are you kidding me? But most of it wasn't documented. So we had to go back and redocument everything. There's text messages of him sending text messages to team members that, hey, I'm not going to be, be able to make it in. I got too high last night. You would think that'd be documented, right? It wasn't. So we had to go back and basically, hey, can we get screenshots of this text message? And then as soon as we updated his file, his lawyer dropped the case the next week. But Imagine if we weren't able to go back and redocument that. Now it's just like our word versus theirs. And we're in an at-will state. Michigan's an at-will state. Now, if you live in a, a communist state like California, a lot of these states always side on the eye of taking care of the employees because corporations are big bad guys and we're always out to screw over employees, right? That's the side of that you're working against, right? So you want to make sure that you have a clear-cut case and that you're documenting these things. And it's not good enough that you as the owner understand this. Your managers have to do this because they're in the day-to-day and they know what's happening. And the further you remove yourself from the business, there's going to be things that just happen to your business that you're not aware of, that you would assume is getting documented and being taken care of the right way. So the first thing is, does your team know what the right way is? So we have an HR person that comes in and trains our team This is what you're supposed to be doing. This is what you need to be doing. And we make sure that they get that training on a regular basis because we know how critical it is and how much it can cripple your business if you're not doing those things the right way. Like one lawsuit for some of you, we're going to put you out of business. So just don't put yourself in that position to to set yourself up for a lawsuit. All right, we ready to go on to number two? Yeah, let's do it. All right, number two, being a wuss. And I'll admit I've been a wuss. So I'm not trying to be like, ah, you need to be this aggressive person and all that. No, like Dustin talked about what Jocko taught, but like there's a difference between being nice and being kind. A lot of the people who are wusses are trying to be nice and want everybody to like them. You can still be kind, but be clear, right? So if you're trying to be nice to somebody and you're like, oh, I give that person feedback, but they're like, have no idea that they did anything wrong and need to improve. You did not give them feedback. You were being nice to them. You sugarcoated it. You put way too much gray area in your communication versus very black and white. You can be very kind to that person and say, hey, I'm giving you this information because one, it's my job to, to grow you and get better, but I, wa- I know you can get better. I know you can improve. I see your potential. Here's a few things that I think you need to improve upon, right? And be very clear on what those are. That's not being mean. Like problem is you feel bad because you think that person's not going to like you when you give them that feedback, but you're not being kind to that person if you're not giving them that feedback. Some of the ways that managers show up as wimps is not having conversations with team members about performance. So they see it, they know that it's happening, but they have no conversations with that person because they want to avoid any level of conflict. 
So typically where this shows up in the business though is somebody's doing something wrong. All the team members see it, by the way. They're doing something wrong. And then it turns into this major problem where it then ends up, I get have to get involved and typically end up having to fire somebody. And they're like, I didn't even know that I was doing anything wrong. And everyone's, you've been late 30 times. They're like, why didn't somebody tell me I was late 30 times? It literally happened in our business that we had a team member that like, our manager said he was having conversations with this person. And that person had no clue that they were even like in hot water. And I'm like, how is that even possible? And it's because that person was a wuss and was afraid to have a conversation with that person. You're not serving that person. We've had to fire a few people in the last two years that were massively underperforming that we thought the manager was having conversations with and they weren't, but the person was just not at the level that they needed to be that we couldn't have them around anymore. They lost the bandwidth because they were massively underperforming and it was like, it was embarrassing. And then the managers, we should give them more of a chance. It's no, you should have done your job and you should have been coaching. That person got fired because you were unwilling to coach them. Now it's not fair to them, but then the manager looks at you like you're a jerk and you didn't give that person an opportunity. He's like, no, you didn't do your job. You said you were coaching them up. You said you were getting them better. You said you were having conversations and they never were. But it got to the point that it's th their actions were no longer tolerable. And the only reason that they lasted that long is because when you have as many locations as we don't see them every single day, we saw it every single day, they would have been gone way sooner. So not providing them feedback when they need it, not holding them to a high standard. And it hurts the whole team when you allow somebody to operate at a lower standard, it tells the entire team that a lower standard is acceptable. And oftentimes, mm. most cultures get pulled down to the lower standard people. Most lower standard people don't come up to the higher standard people. Oftentimes, when it's not checked, your higher standard people will go down to your lower standard people. And unfortunately, like that's how your product starts to erode over time is when you don't keep a high standard. They want to be liked. So you're a wuss because you want everybody to like you. You are a people pleaser. You don't do what's right for the business. You do what's right by how are you going to make sure that everybody still likes you? Because if you have to make somebody work more, more shifts because that's what's needed for the business. I've had it where we've had team members that our coaches, full-time coaches, were supposed to be working 11 blocks. For a year, one location was having their team members work eight blocks and understaffing our, what we're supposed to be staffed right. at. So I'm paying the people full salary. Our clients are expecting a certain level of service. And you know where it showed up? In attrition. Hey, why is this location's attrition like getting worse and worse? Oh, because we weren't providing the product that the clients were accustomed to. When we're supposed to have three coaches on and now we have two coaches on and sometimes there's one coach because you don't want to make your coaches work what they were paid to work? Give me a break, right? And then when we have to go in and go, hey, you're really supposed to be working 11, how do they feel about that? Now they feel overworked. They think we're jerks. We'd like think all of this stuff because they didn't want to make their team work the schedule that they were hired to work that they knew they were supposed to work, right? They're afraid to challenge their team. So they're okay with the team not performing at a certain level because they don't want to challenge the team. They don't want to rock the boat. Not making clear requests 
in the sense of really clear on what their demands are. Like either they're like passive aggressive or they're not very clear on this is what I need you guys to do. And then they don't do it. And then they complain, hey, the team didn't do what I wanted them to do. Or I can't get my team to do what I want them to do. It's because you're not making a clear request of what you want them to do. Or you make it sound optional. That's the other one that always frustrates me is, hey, the team didn't do it. I was like, that's because your request was optional. And if I get the option of working more or working less, I'm going to choose less every single freaking time if there's no consequences to that. And then the last part of being a wuss is over-trusting and not verifying the quality of the work being performed. And part of that is holding them accountable to an outcome, right? So if you're going to delegate something away, you need to also delegate the outcome to that person and hold them accountable when they're not getting the outcome that they're supposed to be getting. But that's number two. So number two is being a wuss as a manager and you can't be effective as a manager and be a wuss at the same time. Yeah. And I definitely want to echo that with, hey guys, that's why you have to be really choice about who you put in a manager position or if you yourself are the manager, you got to know that this role is a lot of conflict. There's some when you're a coach, but I find the more you climb up, the leadership scale, the more conflict there is. Think about the amount of conflict Elon Musk is going through right now. Like how, how high is he in terms of the amount of people he has to lead? So that is not for everybody. And that's why they say it's almost like climbing a mountain. The air gets thinner and it's harder to breathe. And But you will acclimate and you will start to normalize. And that's why it's like anything. The more reps, the more tough talks I have, the more conflict I have, the more fires I put out, the better I just get at it. And then I just become more skilled at that. It's, sometimes it might not ever be fun, but it just comes with the role. And I think of that movie with George Clooney, like up in the air, his job was to like fly around the country and just fire people. Like what an awful job. And he had to go into companies and let departments go. But it, for him, it was just like Tuesday because that's all he did all the time. So for you, again, we don't like all this stuff. We don't like having corrective conversations. We don't like letting people go. We don't like calling people out when they're starting to go backwards, but that's just how people are. Like they'll test boundaries. They'll see what they can get away with. And you have to hold the line. If you want to have a very successful seven figure business, I don't know any that have low standards. The only path to getting there is high standards. So you've got to fight for them. They are worth it. And the last part about being a wuss that I missed is over listening to your team. Uh, so we've all heard the saying team weigh-in gets team buy-in and all that stuff. But a lot of people get it really messed up is you don't have to ask your team for permission for every single thing that you want to do inside of your business. Yeah. So oftentimes what people will do is let's just say you've made a decision you want to implement whatever it may be. You go to your team and go, hey team, what do you think about this? And Again, most people don't want to do extra work. Most people want to do, I'm afraid to say the bare minimum and go home, right? Do I want to stay extra and do follow-up and do all these extra things in the challenge and do challenger workouts and do all of these things to improve what we are doing? So you go to your team, you go, and you've already made a decision like, hey, I want to implement this, but I want the team to say yes, and then we'll go. So you go to your team and then they're like, ah, no, I don't think that's a good idea. What if we did this instead? And uh, and now you're screwed because you went to your team and asked them for permission to do something you wanted to do in your business. They had a negative reaction to it. So now what do you do? 
do you go, okay, I'm moving forward with it, even though you all said no, right? You lose, it's a lose-lose situation when you do those things because rarely have I ever gone to my team with, hey, what do you think? And it turns out to be like this positive response. And now you're backtracking. And now the decisions of your business are all reactionary to your team's feelings and emotions and what they want, which may not be aligned with getting clients better results, may not be aligned with growing your business. All the things that the reason why you decided to make that decision so instead of being able to go to your team and say, hey team, this is the decision that we made. Now let's figure out how do we implement this or how do we take action on this? So you're still getting their buy-in, but you're making where the decision's not up for debate. It's yeah. not a That's not up for debate. How it gets implemented and how we execute it, great. But now we've already said, hey, this is what we're going to talk about. We're trying to solve for this because this is what we're going to do. But now you can still get your team buy-in with the execution of it versus the buy-in of the decision. Because I have yet to find many people get bought into the decision that requires more work or some type of extra task or a change in their schedule. Yes. It's just not, you're not going to win that battle. So don't do that. So that's the over-listening to your team. So yes, listen to your team on some things. Yes, get their feedback. But- you do not need to crawl to them on your hands and freaking knees and ask them for permission to make a decision in your business. And yes, I'm getting heated about that because I see it so often. And it's because you just want to be nice and you want everyone to agree with your decisions. If you want to grow a business and you want to have the greatest impact possible, you got to be willing for people to not agree with your decisions. Period. There is no arguing that. I have too much evidence to make that case yes all right we're gonna move on to number three i'm gonna kick us off on this one and this is ego and so something i've seen in my experience is that people chase titles to serve their ego that they want the title because it'll just give them more status or it'll make them feel more important or they'll feel like they've moved up one of the things that actually irked me was when somebody said hey dust there was two funny requests one was can I just get a new title? Because right now I'm just a coach. And I don't know why those three words just piss me out. Just a coach. I'm like, oh my God, do you know how much impact you create? Like some of the most successful people I know consider themselves coaches. Like, how could you say that to yourself? I'm just a coach. And so it, they just came from another business model that they had a different title and they just, they felt like they'd went down the ladder of status versus up. The other one, was, hey, all my friends that I know at other companies, they are like manager level. And here I, I'm still stuck at coach. And again, both kind of saying the same verbiage, but notice that none of it was about impact. None of it was about helping clients. Notice it was like, I feel this way because my friends have this, or I feel this way because at the previous company, I had a different title. It's a very selfish driven. And what is that? That's ego. And so there's times that I've learned the wrong way, which I gave people a title for seniority like they just been with us a while hey i want to see them move up I, I see that they have potential let's give them that and nine times out of ten it does not work out the person was not ready their mindset was pay me more then you'll see my workload not let me show you my workload then pay me more and that's just not how business works you have to lead with value as a business we even do that right we give out content we give out value we give out to the community in the marketplace in exchange to get that person's business 
So the same goes with your team. And so I know for me, that's my, my, my two kryptonites, the things that like kill me, my superpowers is negativity and egos. I just shut down. I don't want to be around you. You just turn me off. And so that is, I'm probably assuming is going to apply to a lot of the listeners. I, I believe fitness attracts a lot of humble people, but there is a healthy amount of ego involved too, because it is a, let's face it, you type of business. You're looking at your body and you're, you're judging yourself and you're thinking about yourself and how to make yourself better. So it's good in those sense that you're chasing that, but you can go over the deep end a little bit. You get a little bit about yourself too much. And again, I love this one being included on the list because if you are about yourself, you're not there to serve your team. You're not there to serve your clients. You're thinking about your ego. So be mindful of that. Don't feel that if you're a gym owner, you owe somebody a title or a move up the ladder because they've been there a long time. They have to have the skills. You got to put those filters up first. Do they have the skills? Do they have the ability to fulfill the problems that this role is meant to solve? If not, it is not a good fit. Do not put them in there. And final thing I'll say on that is that's what happens when a gym owner asks a coach to do lead follow-up. And again, I'm probably just seeing that because that's my world. We do lead follow-up gym reinforcements, but they'll say, oh no, I don't, I, we don't need you guys. We had a coach doing it. And like, is that what they applied for? Or did you just force them into it because you want to get them more hours or you want to help them out to make their benefits or whatever? It's usually not their skill set. It's not giving them energy. It's draining energy. And then you're not getting it done as good as you think you are. You're just putting a butt in the seat, but I can almost promise it's not being done the right way. And so again, that just filled up that coach's ego or you as the manager, you chose to put them in there. It made you feel good moving people around, but it actually can hurt your business putting people in the wrong seat. This is just a really good topic. That's my take on it, Matt. How about for you? Hey guys, it's Dustin Bogle with The Fitness Empire and we want to connect with you on social media. So Matt and I are asking you to either friend us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and we'll follow you back. But you want to search our name, Dustin Bogle or Matt Wilbur, and here's what we want to do for you. We want to help you with your biggest pain point in your business. So send us a DM, tell us what that big pain point or struggle is, and we'll share with you whatever we've done when it comes to that pain point in our own business. All right. So. Again, go on Facebook, Instagram, search Dustin Vogel, Matt Wilbur, connect and let us help you grow your business. Yeah, so a little bit different angle on the ego side. Obviously, like what Dustin talked about was is what a lot of people think about when you hear ego. But when we talk about like the manager where it creeps up, especially when you have multiple locations, is they put on this facade that everything's great. They want everyone to think that mm -hmm. their facility is doing amazing. Everything's great. Team members are doing great. Everything here is kicking ass and you're like, your numbers don't say that, right? Yeah. So when you talk to them, they'll say things like everything is great. They're not willing to ask for help when they're needed. So they may be struggling. They may not be doing what they're supposed to be doing. They may not be following a system or a process, but they say they are because they don't want to look like, hey, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So they hide or cover up mistakes. When you don't have an ego, you're willing to say, hey, I screwed up. I need help. Or I screwed up. I will never do it again. But they hide it because they don't want to look bad. They don't follow the directions that you've provided them or they have a better way of doing it. That's my favorite is I have a better way of doing it or they know better. And back to what Dustin was saying with the difference between, hey, take care of the people or systems. That person has a massive ego because... 
in many ways, like it's okay to argue behind the scenes with each other, have conflict behind the scenes, but in front of your team, the reason why that person would ever say that in front of the team is because they have an ego, right? They want to look smarter than the boss or they are smarter than the boss and they want everybody to know it. So they'll say condescending things to the team. They will contradict what the leader says because they have a massive ego, right? They won't admit when there's team member issues going on inside of the, their facility or they will lie about the situation that's happening with the team member because they actually dropped the ball. They will lie. They will cover it up. They will manipulate the situation. They will make the other person be out to be the bad guy when they share their side of the story. But then when you actually get all the details, you're like, you massively screwed up and now you're trying to cover up for what you did because of your ego. So those are some of the ways that the ego starts coming out in the manager side of things that can have massive consequences and cause dysfunction inside of that location. And a lot of it is when you hire somebody for the wrong reasons, for the ego stuff that Dustin talked about is when we talk about running on EOS, they have GWC, which is get it, want it, and have the capacity to do it. Part of the want it is do you want it for the right reasons? Do you want to be a manager to say you're a manager or do you want to be a manager because you actually want to manage people? And there is a massive difference. The people that have the ego issues are the ones that were very eager to become a manager because they wanted the title, not because they actually wanted to do what it takes to be a manager. Yes. Love it. And again, just be mindful of that. And if it's something you've done in the past, Again, look at it objectively. Don't beat yourself up. I've done it. We're right here explaining the mistakes we've made because I want you to know if you're like me, and I'm pretty sure like Matt, you're the first business owner in your family's history. That Not to give it you like a get out of jail card, but you're going to make a lot of mistakes and that is okay. You, you didn't have anybody to learn from. That's why we have to pay for mentorship. We have to pay and seek it out because there's nobody that we could talk to that knows this stuff. And so you're figuring out for the first time, which is great. It's noble. You want to change your family history, but just know that you're going to make a lot of them. And so the way to get ahead of them quicker is to listen to podcasts like this, is to join mentorships, is to connect with other people doing it, because otherwise you're going to make a lot and you're going to, and you're not going to have anybody to warn you about them. So that's why we do this episode, this, this show is to help you guys. And with this, just reflect on it. If you are making the mistakes, that's fine learn from them and stop making the mistakes. But part of that is you've got to drop the ego, right? And go, yes, am I doing these things? And if you are, you need to course correct it and learn from them because your ego doesn't also doesn't allow you to learn from your mistakes because your ego, you try to protect yourself. When you try to protect yourself, you're not being self-aware of where can I grow? Where can I get better? Does it hurt? There's I've made so many mistakes where it hurts. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Like, I'm an idiot. I suck. All the things that we all say to ourselves, right? But then it's, okay, I'm going to learn from this and I'm going to get better because I'm never going to make that mistake ever again. So if you want to wrap your ego in something, your identity in something, wrap it in, hey, I'm going to learn. I got a white belt mentality that I'm only going to make the mistake one time because I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to improve. I'm going to get better. Where people with massive egos, they never think it's their fault. 
they're never willing to learn. They're never willing to say, I made a mistake. And they're going to stay stuck and then wonder why they stay stuck all the time. Number four, over-delegation. Dude, I'm the king of over-delegation, but I'm also the CEO of of a company. And part of my job is to delegate, right? Because I can't do everything. I end up being the bottleneck inside of the business. But a lot of managers... They read the books or they hear the podcast and you got to delegate everything away. And they try to be the CEO of a major company and act like they're the CEO of a major company. But if I hired you to be a manager, I hired you for certain roles and responsibilities that I want you doing inside of the business. I didn't want you delegating those away. I've seen it where I'll have conversations like, oh, yeah, I delegated that. And I'm like, you did what? And then they delegate another thing. And a lot of it is just laziness. They just don't, they're just they trying to delegate everything away so they don't have to freaking do the thing I hired them to do in the first place. And then you go, what are you doing? Where are you providing value to the business? Because oftentimes they would delegate away like high value things. When we were running boot camps, one of the jobs of the facility leaders, so that was the manager inside of that location, was to run orientation, which was the first interaction with clients was also a sales presentation. It was the most important part of the entire process. And one of the managers at the time was like, oh yeah, I delegated that away. And I'm like, and then you find out it's because that person didn't want to be there at seven o'clock on a Monday night. That's why they delegated it away. And then you also look at the track record. That person kept delegating stuff away. That is your job. That's what you need to be doing. That's where you provide value to the company. You need to be doing those tasks. Yes, there is lower level things that other people on the team can do, but your job isn't to just think that you get to delegate every single thing away as a middle manager, right? You're not a CEO of a big company that has a bunch of managers working underneath them, especially small business. Like you don't have that luxury, right? So they're acting like they're the owner. You, the owner, delegated the managerial duties to the manager. Now the manager is trying to delegate their managerial duties down to their team members. Yeah. And it just doesn't work because to your point of, hey, gym reinforcement exists so that gyms don't have to do their lead follow-up because they shouldn't be. So I delegated away lead follow-up to a coach to give them hours, but that person didn't come on to do lead follow-up. They're not good at it. They don't like it. It stresses them out. It frustrates them. Yes. And now you have a team member that's doing things that they shouldn't be doing that doesn't fit their personality type, that isn't in their zone of genius. So now you have a disgruntled employee who's not doing a good job at the thing that you're trying to get them to do for the sake of delegation. And that happens all the time in our business. It's if you give a, if you know the disc profile, if you give a super high eye, a bunch of administrative tasks, that person's going to be absolutely miserable. They're going to be disorganized. Their follow through is going to suck. So not only are they going to perform really bad, but they're also not going to be happy in what you're asking them to do. So part of delegation too is making sure you're delegating the right tasks to the right people that should be doing those tasks. And oftentimes, if they didn't get hired to do those things and they weren't the right fit for that type of role and now you force them into it, I've yet to see that end well. I've tried it and it just doesn't end well like whatsoever. So part of delegation too is 
delegate the right things to the right people. But then when you do delegate, you actually properly train them, but you stay responsible for the outcomes of your delegation where a big mistake, and I've done this and we've talked about in previous podcasts, is abdicating responsibility. Just because you delegated it away doesn't mean you're not responsible for it anymore. So you're still responsible for the result and the level that person is performing that task. So if you were to say, hey, coach, I need you to do lead follow-up, do you have KPIs in place? And is that person actually doing a good job with what you're asking them to do? And oftentimes they don't. And oftentimes you're not even aware that they're not doing a good job. We have a, when we were doing boot camp, we had a, like a very diligent 28 day process. You do this on this day, you do this on this day, you do this on this day, you do this on this day. And we have coaches doing it. And the manager, like for, I think it was like three or four months, the coaches weren't following the process at all. And the manager didn't even realize they weren't doing it. This is, ah, and you go, how is that possible? But that goes back to your debate of, is it people or is it systems? The manager's job is to run the system. So the manager was not running the system because they over-delegated and they over-trusted, right? So with that, if you have systems in place, you're going to be able to know when things aren't running correctly. So we had a system in place, but the manager was not overseeing the system and holding people accountable to what they're supposed to be doing. They just assumed that they were doing it and not checking in on that. So you need to make sure that you're checking in on what you expect. And while says inspect what you expect, you're like one of your main jobs as a manager is to inspect and make sure things are yes. being done the way they're supposed to be doing, being done. That's why you're the freaking manager, right? Like Basically, you can't... another way to put it is you are quality control. Like you move from being on the front lines, delivering the service to stepping back to make sure everybody's delivering quality service. And that's what a manager is doing is I'm quality checking that sales is being done the way our brand does sales. I'm quality checking the marketing is being done. I'm quality checking the coaching is delivering the coaching product we expect. I'm quality checking the team is interacting and living our core values in their interactions. And so you are like a quality checking machine. And again, to the gym owner, if you're doing it, that's you. If you have someone else doing it, make sure that they're skilled at that. And so essentially... You know, what you're saying here, Matt, is when we we're talking about that systems versus people, the quality checking and the oversight is a system. People are people and they might get that crazy idea. Their ego tells them, I got a better idea. I know what I'm going to do on my Tuesday. I don't got to check the checklist. And then it, things start to not get done. And then it shows up down the road in terms of retention issues or whatever. And it's just selling people on the idea of why what they're doing is important and explaining it to them during the training. Like this is important because this helps us with retention. This is important because it gives the clients a great experience. And sometimes we just jump to the to-do and we don't explain the why behind it. And again, that is something that if the manager's delegating and they don't have that skill, they're gonna do that. And I know I've done that. So they might just say, hey, admin, I want you to take this off my plate. Just do the task. They don't explain why. And then that admin might skip over it because they don't understand how it feeds to this mission. So that is a skill. Delegation is a skill set, just like coaching a session, just like sales. So they suck at it. I see why this is, again, on the list of sins of a manager. They're trying to get things off their plate or the way in which they delegate could just be done really crappy and that the team doesn't see how it's going to play into anything. 
But yeah, I like that one a lot. Let's move All right, on. Next one is selfishness. I know you talked about it a little bit, Yes. but you can't be an effective manager if you are selfish. The fastest way to make your team angry is when they think things are unfair or when they think you're abusing your powers and what you're supposed to be doing Love as it. a manager or as a leader. Your team is watching everything you say and everything you do. When you elevate to a manager or a leadership position, all eyes are on you. You don't have the grace that maybe you had at a lower position as a regular teammate. Now everybody is looking for you to screw up. I was going to use a different word. Everyone is looking for you to screw up and they will hold it against you as a manager, right? So yeah. you will screw up. You will make mistakes. That's why it's important to not have an ego because if you do screw up and you make a mistake, being able to say, guys, I screwed up. I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Versus the ego like pretends like they did nothing wrong and then the team will hold that against you too. So some things that have happened in the past, managers abuse their position and ask other teammates to cover shifts for them, but they will never cover shifts for other people. So they're asking people to do things that they are unwilling to do themselves. Ooh, in this world, like when we talk about covering shifts, that will be held against you so quick. Yeah. So if you ask somebody to do that for you, then their expectations, you're willing to do it for them when their time comes. But we've had a few managers that were just basically like, they would abuse it, right? It's one thing if every once in a while, hey, something came up and I need you to cover, but there's a difference between that and abusing it and then not willing to cover for other people. Taking advantage of the, their position, right? Take extra time off. They leave early and they maneuver around the rules. They always have a, a reason for doing what they're doing or being able to talk themselves out of like why it's okay for them to do it, but it's not okay for everybody else to do it. Requesting things of their team that they're just unwilling to do themselves. Over-delegate tasks. So we already talked about that, but often that comes down to the side of being selfish, right? So those are the big ways that being selfish shows up as a manager, and that's why it's a sin inside of the business. Anything you want to add to that, Dustin? No, I think I touched on that one earlier, so we'll keep on. All right, ne next one is not setting a clear vision of expectations and standards. And you may go, that's the CEO's job or that's the business owner's job. Yes, it is. But also as the manager coming in on day one and saying, here's my expectations. Every great company, when somebody comes over and takes over, they come in with a clear vision, clear expectation. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to behave. This is how we're going to win. This is like what you can expect from me. So a lot of bad managers, especially new managers, go, I'm just going to come in. I'm going to see how things go and just e ease myself in. And there's a difference between easing yourself in and coming in and say, hey, this is going to be the culture that, that we're going to have. This is how we're going to do things. This is da, da, da. You don't have to overhaul everything overnight and change things and you can still get your team feedback you can still be able to observe the culture and the things there but being able to come in and set that expectation and really too slow to set expectations and too slow to start providing a little bit of feedback to your team members when they aren't performing at the level that they should be performing right like on day one you don't want to come in hey you're below standard and you're blah blah blah, blah but you can't go for months and not be having conversations or performance or providing some feedback to team members because what are you like what are you setting in their mind? I can just do whatever I want. 
this new person doesn't care. So you don't need to come in and be a hard ass and yeah. and all that stuff. That's not what I'm saying. But there is a fine line between the two of them. And I find most managers play this waiting game and just hope things are going to get better. Yes. No, you need to come in, set expectations, but you still need to be patient, right? You still need to be playing the long game and building relationships and doing all those things. But when we talk about the five levels of leadership, like level one is pretty much, I'm your boss. This is how we're going to do things. So you need to do that, but you still need to go to level two, which is relationships. Some people never get past level one. So you want to make sure that you're playing that balance of setting clear expectations while still looking to build relationships and knowing that it's your first day on the job and you don't want to be captain asshole to everybody, right? But clear expectations and they know what to expect from you moving forward and then being patient and building those relationships. But to be kind is to be clear. So be kind on day one and then be kind as you go. And just when people need feedback, be willing to do that and not worry about ruffling everybody's feathers. Because why is ever allowing low performance a good thing? Ever. One of the things that I really just want to double down on is just set the exact activities that you want to do on your calendar and then set clear expectations. We said this earlier, not gray, black and white for them. And that's really what we're talking about here because it's okay, position title change. This new person's in this title. I'm just going to wait and see. That's never a, an effective strategy is time. Let's just give it more time. This person's now in a new seat, so I'm sure everything will fall into place. You'll hear these basically dancing around the bush type of terminology. Those are a trigger for me. I don't like those at all. So essentially, it needs to be very direct. Like you said, I'm not here to change things necessarily, but this is what I expect. And I just want to set this from day one. Let's just get clear on this. And then what's going to happen from there? I'm going to have a one-on-one with you every three weeks. And we're going to just talk about what's going on in your world. Maybe you can give me a personal update, what's going on in your life. And then I also, to build that level two relationship, but I also want to just talk about the role. What are your frustrations? What are you struggling with? People need that one-on-one time with their leader. And if you expect all the issues to show up at your team meetings, I can almost guarantee there's meetings, there's issues that are not being said that people want to talk about, and they are more willing to give them in a one-on-one setting. And so it's one of those things that you can come in and say, as the manager, we're going to keep doing our team meetings but I'm going to make time for you guys at least once a month to have a one-on-one conversation. And that way we can just work through any problems you're having. And that's where you can plan your corrective talks. Cause I find a lot of reasons people struggle giving feedback and they just don't know when is it supposed to happen. We don't have a planned time on the calendar, but one-on-one is that. And so these are the, I'm just giving an example of what are you here to do and, and just give these clear ideas of what we're going to do moving forward so that I feel good under your leadership. Okay. And that's what people like in a leader is like, you seem like you have a plan. You seem like you know where we're going to go. I could buy into that where the person maybe previously didn't. And that could be the previous manager or it could be gym owner, the previous version of you. You are like a snake. You are shedding your skin every year, becoming a bigger, badder snake. So it's okay if you didn't do that. But you could say, hey guys, I've decided I want to change things around here and here's what we're going to do. And your team will be happy to see that. Don't think it has to be a new person has to come in to make a change. Yep. And John Maxwell says the leader knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way, right? Yeah. They want to be led. So when you come in, they're going, hey, when is this person going to lead us? They hired them to lead us, but when are they going to actually come 
and lead us. And then there, there's other ways, like Dustin said, with the behind the scenes meeting too, is that's a good time to get feedback from them and get buy-in from them, especially if somebody's more of an influencer. Maybe they've been there for three years and you come in as the manager. Like that person might be territorial. Get them on your side and make them feel included and make them feel important. And they're going to be more bought into what you're trying to accomplish. So those are all important. The last thing is not realizing your job is to get a result. Your job as a manager, you got hired to drive a result. Not to be people's friends, not to be people's bosses, but to get a result. Now you get a result, like ultimately you do need to be people's bosses. Ultimately, you do need to build relationships with your team. But the end goal of that should result in getting a result. So like a lot of managers that I've struggled with in the past, they don't care about the results. They don't care if the business does well. They care if everybody's fucking happy. Yes. <laughs> they don't care about the health of the business. They don't want to sell or make anyone feel a little uncomfortable or challenge people to do better. Really? They even feel fine if the business isn't doing well. They're like, yeah, whatever. It's okay. Yeah, we'll figure it out. (laughs) Yeah, it's no urgency to improve and get better and move the metrics. And and at the end of the day, the manager needs to see that the the metrics, for us, it's a scorecard, right? Are we making more money? Are we helping more people? Because at the end of the day, like some, I just care about helping people. Money is a reflection of how many people are you helping. Money is a reflection of the value that you are bringing to the marketplace. So you may say, I care about people and I care about helping people, but if the business isn't doing well, then you're not helping as many people as you could be helping. It's ass backwards. So they need to see themselves in many ways as the CEO of the business and that the boss is the board of directors. And I actually told this to our managers a couple of weeks ago. I was like, you guys are the CEO of your location. Me and the leadership team, we're the board of directors. And that's really how you need to do that. Like you got hired to get a result. You're not here to be everybody's best friend, right? At the end of the day, what does matter is results. And I got in this business, when I got into it, it was when somebody was ready to change their life, they'd walk through my doors. And guess what? My bank account reflects the people I'm helping. So you can still be, I'm just in it to change people's lives. You can still do that. But if you're making 10 grand a month, how many people are you helping? I promise you, when I make a million dollars a month in one location and I'm helping 800 people, I'm helping a lot more people than you are when you're making 10. And then two, like what results are you getting clients? The same managers that are like, like not money focused and don't want to grow the business also tend to not get clients results. They go hand in hand. So if you look at, again, the five levels of leadership, you got level one, right? Like positional. Level two is relational. Level three is results. A lot of the people that get stuck at level two also get stuck at level two with their clients. And they don't push them. They don't challenge them. They don't make them set goals, right? They accept all their excuses because they want to be liked. They tend to also not drive results in your business for your clients. So the people that they say they care about, the people that they say they're there to serve, which is way more important than growing your business, they're also not driving results for the clients. 
my locations that do the best, make the most money and get the clients the most results. And that comes down to the coaches, comes down to the manager, right? Strangely, the people that focus on results get results in both directions. They get results for the business and they get results for the clients. So I would look at that. Just if you're a manager and you're listening, how well is the business doing and how well are you doing in getting clients results? Owners, look at your locations. How well is the results in the bank account and how good are the results for the clients? I guarantee you, if neither of those are good, you have a team that is either stuck at level one or, or level two, and they need to get to level three. Now, if you come to the domination workshop, we're going to teach you how to do that. Hint, hint, you should probably show up because we know what we're talking about. And the last part of it is just act as if you're the owner. Make decisions as if you're the owner of the business. Spend the money like it's coming out of your bank account. Sell like it's going into your bank account. Take ownership of the facility, the look, the feel, the reputation, like you are the owner of that location. And if you do that, one day you might be the owner of that location. There's a difference between a manager mentality and an owner mentality. If you ever have the desire to own a location, act as if you already own it. And then eventually one day, somebody like me might come to you and go, hey, I want to make you a partner because you acted as if you were an owner. It goes back to something Dustin said earlier. Hey, when you make me an owner, I'll act like an owner. How about you act like an owner and then I will make you an owner. That's how you create your destiny. Act as if that's what you already want to be. The old saying used to be like, dress for the job you want, right? So with that, act for the job that you want. If you want to be an owner right now, let's just say you're a coach. There's coaches that listen to this. You want to be a manager? Like, you want to be an owner? Act as if you own it. Don't. That doesn't mean have an ego. That doesn't mean you get to boss everybody around. But that means when there's dirt on the floor, pick it up. When a toilet's dirty, clean it. When you know a, a client comes in after hours, sit down with them for a half an hour and act like they're the most important person in the entire freaking world. Act like the growth of the business depends on every single phone call and every single email that comes into the business. You'd be amazed... Like you are a one percenter with that mentality. Be a one percenter and you get one percenter things in life. So those are the seven. I'm just going to run through them one more time. Number one is where does your loyalty lie? Number two is being a wuss. Don't be a wuss. Number three is your ego. Number four is over delegation. Number five is selfishness. Number six is not setting a clear vision of expectations and standards when you take over as a manager and then not realizing your job is to drive a result in the business. So those are the seven deadly sins of a manager. And some of us as owners of businesses, you might relate to a lot of these. I know I've probably made 40% of these mistakes that are on this list, but all of these have happened in my business at one time or another and have been absolutely painful, have been learning lessons and things that I look out for and things that I teach now to our managers to try to prevent them from making these mistakes and having the right mindset of what's required to be a great manager. And I just want to end with this, and then Dustin can send us home, is 99% of people want to do a good job. They just don't know how yet. So part of this is 
hey, take this and use it to train your team. Use it to train your managers and say, hey, these are some of the mistakes that can happen that we want to prevent. And it's not because of ill intent. It's not because they don't want to do a good job. It's often because they don't know better yet because they haven't been taught. They haven't learned. They haven't had the experience. They haven't screwed up and got the coaching and the feedback. And oftentimes they're also not investing into podcasts like this. They're not reading the books. They're not reading the, or listening to different podcasts. They're not going to conferences. They're not going to the domination workshop. Send them to there. And this is the information we talk about. This is what we get to pour into them. And one thing that is really important is you all have the parent voice. So we get to teach them and we get to pour into them and they're going to hear it. And I can yell at your team and say, don't be a wuss and don't do these things. <laughs> and they're going to get it. And they're like, I need to stop being a wuss. Now you, if you went to your team and said, stop being a wuss, they're going to be like, screw you, asshole. Yeah. Now you're the jerk. Now you're the bad guy. Let me and Dustin be the bad guy. Let us hey, say, hey, don't be doing these things. Hey, when you do these things, you're doing harm to the company. You're doing harm to your team. You're doing harm to your clients when you do these things. Don't do it. And they're going to go home and not do it. And you're going to be like, that was the best money I ever spent. Can you yell at my team again? And again, we're not going to yell at your team, but we're going to have conversations like this that say, hey, don't do these things. And and then they're not going to do it. And they're going to be like, oh my gosh, I've been making these mistakes and I need to improve and I need to get better. Yes. And you're going to be like, all right, that was worth the trip. That was worth the airplane. That was worth the ticket. That was worth a couple of days away from my business, from my team to get it. And I'll share one story that is the parent voice story is my first employee. I couldn't get him to do warmups. I couldn't get him to take him serious ever. And I took him and another team member to a Martin Rooney event and he taught us his system. And the first thing they talked about was warmups. And he basically said that if you're not warming up your clients, like you're a terrible trainer and you probably shouldn't be in this industry. And he tapped me on the leg and he goes, hey, we really need to start taking warmups seriously. And I wanted to choke him so hard for, it was probably like five or six months, at least once a week having a conversation about, hey, we need to do warmups. Hey, you need to do them, take it serious. And he acted like that was the first time that he ever heard that. But the power of it was he tripped over the truth. He came up with the realization that he needed to do warmups. And guess what? He started doing warmups. And now if you hear him talk to his team today, he's not on our team anymore, but if you hear him talk to his team, I guarantee you he's telling them how important doing warmups are. All because I took him to it at Martin Rooney event. It was a $500 event. It was the best money I ever spent because he started freaking doing warm-ups and it solved one of my biggest pain points at the time, which was getting him to listen to me. So if you're struggling right now with some of your teammates and maybe they're just not getting it, let us be the velvet hammer for your team and they're going to come back motivated. They're going to come back fired up and they're going to come back ready to grow your business for you like never before. That's all I got. Love it. Guys, we want to see you there. Domination Workshop is in August. Um, all the bonuses that you will see on the website, dominationworkshop.com, are only available for a limited time. And if you guys love this episode, then I would ask that you tag us on social media. Take a screenshot, tag me on Instagram or on Facebook. You just got to search our names. 
we want to hear what takeaways you got and which of the seven stood out to you a lot as well. Yeah, which of the seven and do you have any other that you would want to add to that list? I'm actually super curious. Yes. What did we miss? What, what other things do you think are some of the deadly sins of a manager inside of, inside of your location? Let's start compiling an even bigger list because we've all gone through the gone through this, I don't want to call it a horror story, but we've all gone through this. If you've had managers, uh, you're probably shaking your head, you're laughing, might even be crying right now, but let us know, add to that list, or let us know which one of these was resonated with you the most. Yes. And last but not least, guys, me and Matt are taking the time to do this. We ask that you subscribe and give us a five-star review because we want to know that you are loving it. And that is the feedback directly is to see five-star reviews come in Help us get this word out to more gym owners that need to know this message. So when they search on the podcast app, they will find us at the top. So that's the final ask. But most importantly, again, guys, go to dominationworkshop.com. Let us pour into you and your team. Let us save you from these seven deadly sins and let us pass on just almost 30 years of knowledge as a gym owner so you can shortcut and reach that million dollar gym that we know you guys want to achieve. We'll see you guys next week. Later. Hey guys, Dustin Bogle here, and I wanted to invite you to my free group for gym owners. It's called Fitness Sales Made Simple, because I wanna show you how to convert more of your leads into sales, how to get more people to say yes to taking that leap of faith to join your program and to get healthy, fit, and more confident, all right? And so I'm gonna share my best sales strategies, but you gotta join the group to see what it's all about. And in fact, the minute you join, I'm gonna give you a free gift and that is a PDF called five ways to get more sales in your gym. So join the group. I'll tag you on the PDF and enjoy the free content. See you in the group.